How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And I want to ask you to join me, if you will, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament this morning, Isaiah chapter 52. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52, page number 760, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to read the last uh, three verses of the book of Isaiah chapter 52 and the first verse of Isaiah chapter 53. And then I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open as uh, we look at this together. All right? Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53 this morning. Uh, don't forget, check back on the website this afternoon. Sometime after three or so, we'll have an announcement about our service for this evening. And we're looking forward to uh, moving forward now, uh, going forward. Hopefully, we won't have any more of these bad Sundays, uh, bad weather Sundays, uh, you know, going forward. And uh, so uh, get all that behind us. Pray if it's going to snow. It'll do like I said on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or sometime around those days instead of on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I would really, really appreciate that. I struggle with that for a number of reasons, but uh, I really, that really bothers me. But anyway, Isaiah chapter 52, if you're there, would you say amen? Amen. amen. I want you to look this way, if you will. If you were to get your calendar out this morning, either in, maybe if you've got a checkbook registry or maybe on your phone, you're going to find two things on your calendar this morning. First of all, we're only 48 days away from spring. Can I have an Amen. But then number two, you would find out, if you started counting, we are exactly 10 Sundays from Easter today. In 10 Sunday mornings, we will be celebrating our resurrection of the Savior. Now, I'm, I'm especially excited about our celebration of Easter this year because of a special event that we have planned on the Saturday evening before the Sunday morning of Easter. So in these Sunday mornings leading up to all that, I want to attempt for the next 10 Sunday mornings, I'm going to make an attempt to preach on the subject of the cross. I want to preach on the cross, on Calvary, and the sufferings of the Son of God thereon. You see, there's nothing that will warm the heart of a cold Christian, and there's nothing that will heat up the services of a, of a church like considering Calvary thinking and hearing about Calvary. So for a few services, I want us to linger at the foot of the cross. Because as somebody has rightly said, we go to Calvary for pardon, but we linger at Calvary for power. So to begin with, I want to go all the way back into the Old Testament. Of course, we know that Calvary was a New Testament event, but it was actually Saul back in the Old Testament. It was foretold, it was prophesied, maybe our word predicted that it would happen back in the Old Testament. And we go this morning all the way back to Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. What I'd like to do this morning is kind of more or less just kind of give an introduction, if I may, to this entire series of sermons on the subject of Calvary. And I want to begin with verse 13 of Isaiah chapter number 52. And here's what the Bible said. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many, as many were astonished or astonished at, at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. 
so shall he sprinkle many nations. And the kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, believe it or not, what I've just read to you this morning in this text is one of the most precise pictures of Calvary in, in all of the Old Testament and for most of the New Testament. And here's the thing. The picture that we have of Calvary in Isaiah 52 and chapter 53 was given to us. It was written some 700 years before Calvary ever happened. You talk about Bible prophecy. You talk about history that was written before it actually happened. That's what we have in this text this morning. What Isaiah looked forward to, uh, what, what he looked forward to see, we actually look backward to see. What he was looking toward in Bible prophecy, we look back upon as Bible history. Now, we're starting this morning in chapter 52, but let me tell you an interesting fact about Isaiah chapter 53, and that's this. Did you know the most quoted uh, Old Testament chapter in the New Testament is Isaiah chapter 53. This chapter is quoted from nine different times in the New Testament, and it occurs in all four of the Gospels. In fact, let me tell you this. You can virtually reconstruct the whole chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, from passages that we find in the New Testament. So what Isaiah does is, by divine inspiration, he takes us to Calvary. It's almost as if Isaiah was sitting at the foot of the cross the day, the day that our Lord was crucified, and he writes the details regarding Calvary. This text is what is known as a servant song. If you look at verse number 13 of chapter 52, it simply says this, Behold my servant. Now, if you were to go through the book of Isaiah, you'll find out there are four of these servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And if you were to ask any Jew today what Isaiah 53 is all about, that Jew would probably say this, This is a chapter... Uh, about the nation of Israel because they look at Isaiah 53 as being a personification of the nation of Israel. They say the servant spoken of in chapter 52, verse number 13, is speaking about the nation of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not true. The servant that is being spoken about in Isaiah 52 and in Isaiah chapter 53 is not the nation of Israel. It is none other than a picture of the Lord Jesus himself because Jesus was not only God's son, Jesus in the Bible is called God's servant as well. Look at this verse over in Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 18. In the New Testament, this is said about Jesus. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. That was said of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. So in reality, this servant that is being talked about in our text this morning is not the nation of Israel. It is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. It is an individual. It is the person of God's only begotten Son. By the way, can I tell you this as further validity to what I've just told you? We have a story in our New Testament revolving around Isaiah chapter 53. And many of you will remember this story. In Acts chapter 8, there's a eunuch 
that has been from Ethiopia to the city of Jerusalem, and the Bible said he went there for to worship. I mean, evidently there was something dry, something, something that he was not finding in all the temples of Ethiopia, in all of the religion and the gods of Ethiopia. He was looking for something that would satisfy the longing of his heart. So he's taken a trip from Ethiopia all the way to the city of Jerusalem. And he gets to Jerusalem and all he finds is magnificent edifices and ritualistic services. So he climbs back in that chariot. He's on his way back to the land of Ethiopia. His soul is as dry and dusty as the desert floor. And he happens to be reading from Isaiah chapter 53 while he's sitting in that chariot. But he doesn't understand what he's reading. So in the meantime, God has jerked up an independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptist preacher out of the city of Samaria who is in the middle of a great revival meeting. And God jerks that old preacher up, sets him out there in the middle of that desert I can see that preacher standing there scratching his head wondering what in the world has God done to me but God sees what we don't. They just sang about that a moment ago. God knew there was going to be an old boy that was looking for some answers, riding in a chariot on his way back to Ethiopia. And the Bible said that old Philip is standing there, and God said, hey, go join yourself to that chariot. And he runs toward that chariot. He was a good Baptist deacon. He took off running when God told him to do something. And he goes and joins himself to that chariot. And that old boy sitting there reading, he said, I don't understand what I'm reading. And he said, is the prophet, speaking of Isaiah 53, is he talking about himself or some other man? And in Acts chapter number 8 and in verse number 35, the Bible said that Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, and preached unto him who? Jesus. This is not about the nation of Israel. This chapter is about it's about Jesus. The whole text of this chapter is about the Lord Jesus. And what Isaiah does is he takes us to the foot of the cross. Now I want you to go back to chapter 52 for just a moment. And I want you to notice in verse number 13 how this, this setting begins. Because it actually begins in kind of a, in an odd way. Because what Isaiah does in chapter 52 and verse 13, when he starts talking about the servant... And right before he gets into the details of Calvary, he simply says there in verse number 13, I just want to tell you that the servant is going to be successful in what God has told him to do. Look, if you will, at verse number 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Now, prudently, that's the only time in our whole Bible the word prudently occurs. Now, most of the time we say something is prudent or someone is prudent, we say they're wise. And by the way, we know Jesus was wise. He was wisdom personified. I'm telling you, he was, he was Solomon's wisdom uh, humped up on steroids. I mean, Jesus knows all things. He shall deal prudently. But the word prudently simply means this, success. In other words, what he's saying there in verse number 13, my servant is going to succeed in what God has given him to do. If you look there at verse number 13, he says, he shall be exalted, he shall be extolled, he shall be very high. It's almost like, it's almost like Isaiah is telling us, now we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff here. I mean, we're going to talk about some bad things here. Isaiah said it's going to get dark, and it's going to get darker. He said it's going to get bad, 
and it's going to go from bad to worse. I'm telling you, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrendous what I'm about to tell you. But I just want to say before we get to any of that, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Aren't you glad? I mean, as dark as Calvary was on the morning of the resurrection, you know what God said? Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. And Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be exalted. He may be killed. He may be put to death. But don't worry. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be extolled. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to, he's going to be supreme. He's going to be successful. Everything's going to turn out. And I'm glad I could say, though Biden might be in the White House, everything's going to be okay. God's in control, and everything is going to work out all right. How many of you all are with me this morning? So now we come to Dark Calvary. I got four or five things I want to say, but I'm only going to preach two of them this morning for the sake of time. But I got a couple of things as we, as we begin to scratch around Calvary. There are a couple of things that jump out at us from this text this morning about Calvary. First of all, I want you to notice beginning in verse 14 how Calvary, how astonishing it was. Calvary, how astonishing. Now notice in verse 14, now we get into the details of it. And the Bible said this, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, and the kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which hath not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now, in reality, what we have there is a picture of Calvary. Let's see if we can't break it all down this morning. Isaiah is talking about the servant, the Son of God. And he's talking about how he will be on the cross and before the cross. Isaiah reminds us in this text that the servant, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, is going to be treated so badly that when the people see him, they're going to be astonished at how he looks. If you'll notice that word there in verse number 14, that astonished word. Some synonyms to the word astonished, just so we're all on the same page. Astonished means to be amazed. It means to be astounded. It means to be bewildered or confounded or flabbergasted. You see, Isaiah is telling us that Jesus is going to be beaten so badly. He's going to be treated so cruelly that his visage his facial features. In appearance, he will not even look like he is a man. That's what verse 14 says. As many were, uh, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, his form, his facial features more than the sons of men. Now, when we read over the New Testament, some of the further details about Calvary, I think we kind of understand the, the picture that Isaiah is painting for us here. The beatings that Jesus took before the cross, much less on the cross, defy description. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, when you read over the four Gospels about how Jesus was smacked 
openly with the open hands of the Roman soldiers, how that he was buffeted with a reed, a, a, a long stick, and he was smitten on the head time after time after time, how the soldiers struck the Son of God with their fist back and forward as they plucked out the very hairs of the Son of God from his face, the scourging that he took from the flagellum, the, the Roman cat of nine tails, the beating that Jesus endured so disfigured him in face and in body that looking upon him, you could not even tell that he was a man hanging there on the cross. You know, in our day, we, we have these pictures, these paintings of Jesus on the cross with a little trickle of blood running down both hands and maybe a little trickle of blood down his feet and a crown of thorns upon his head. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you and I have ever seen a picture of how cruelly and brutally that Jesus was beaten and what he looked like when he was on the cross of Calvary. Now, in our day, let's face it, brutal killings and brutal beatings are nothing new. Almost every day on the news, I mean, it's not even, we're not even astonished by it anymore. But almost every day in the news, we hear people who have been beaten to death with hammers. We, we hear of people that have been stabbed multiple times. We hear of people who have been soaked in gasoline and their bodies have been set on fire. You know, brutal beatings and brutal deaths are almost a common occurrence in our day. And yet we are told in this text, verse 14, that nobody, nobody, no matter how brutally they've been beaten, how many times they've been stabbed, regardless of what's happened to them, nobody ever suffered or was beaten as badly as Jesus was. Verse 14 says that he was marred more than that of any man. You know what I think that statement is telling us? That he was unrecognizable as a man as he hung on the cross of Calvary. Have you ever been to the grocery store before and picked up a, bag, a pack of a, maybe hamburger and you were going to buy that and you put, it in your, you put it in your buggy? I think that's what the face of Jesus probably resembled after the beating that he took before he ever got to the cross. I think if you look at that package of hamburger, I think that's the way his back must have looked. It has been laid open with the Roman cat of nine tails and layer after layer of skin had been removed down to the very bone till the entrails of the Son of God was exposed. Jesus didn't even look like a man. You couldn't even tell. It was his visage, his features were so marred that he was unrecognizable as a man. That's why I say Calvary, how astonishing it was. But then if you come to verse number 15, we're told this about it. In verse number 15, we're told that kings will even, even shut their mouths at the appearance of the Son of God on Calvary. We're told in, furthermore in verse number 15 that they'll finally see what they haven't heard that they now will hear. They're aghast. I mean, man, they're absolutely astonished at how Jesus was treated. I'm talking about the Son of God. I'm talking about one who never knew sin. I'm talking about the one who never did anything that was worthy not only of death, but I'm talking about worthy of any type of punishment. And there he hangs with the spittle 
of the Roman soldiers dripping off his face, mingled with the blood, and, and, and his tongue swollen, and his mouth parched and cracked open and bleeding, blood protruding, protruding from his ears, his eyes, the crown of thorns as it's dug into its head and poking out underneath. Oh, my friend, Jesus suffered as nobody has ever suffered on the cross of Calvary. How astonishing it was. But would you look at verse number 15? I, I want to mention this first phrase of verse 15 because it says this, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Boy, that word sprinkle carries us back now into the Old Testament sacrificial system because we understand that uh, all over Israel, lambs and goats and bullocks were raised for the sole purpose of them being slaughtered and their blood being used to, to cover over sin. And one of the statements that's made, one of the reoccurring things that's said about those Old Testament sacrifices was that their blood was sprinkled for cleansing upon the altar. And here's what, here's what gets me about this. Here, the very one, the very one that they think that is so unclean, the very one that they think is nothing more than just a common criminal, is the very one who's shedding his blood that will once and for all cleanse the sin of humanity. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The blood that Jesus shed on Calvary was making it possible for us to be clean. Hallelujah. Calvary, how astonishing. But now we come to chapter 53, verse number 1. And I say this about Calvary. Calvary, how amazing. How amazing. Now, look at verse 1. Isaiah says this. Who's going to believe this? Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah, 700 years before it ever happened, is writing about it. Uh, you know what that would be like? Think of it like this. It, it would be like this. It would be back on January 31st of the year 1321 that somebody stands up and says, 700 years from today, January 31st, 1321, there's going to be a nation on the earth called the United States of America. And in the United States of America, there's going to be a city that's called Washington. And in Washington is going to be the capital of that nation. And in that capital is going to be a president by the name of Joe Biden, who will be the 46th president of the nation uh, of the United States of, uh, of America, much to the, to the dismay of a lot of people. 700 years before it ever happened. Somebody stood up and made such a prophecy as that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what Isaiah did. 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, before he ever died on Calvary, Isaiah said, let me tell you what the Son of God, the servant of God, is going to have to go through. And by the way, one of the greatest, one of the greatest validities, one of the greatest uh, evidences that we have that proves the reality of the Bible as being God's Word is fulfilled prophecy. I mean, here's an Old Testament prophet that, that in minute detail describes what's going to happen to Jesus while he's on Calvary 700 years before it ever happened. That's how I know this book is, in fact, the word of the living God. Amen. Prophecy. 
And we have the fulfillment of it right here in this text this morning. And I want you to notice what Isaiah said. It's amazing what he saw about Calvary in Isaiah 53. For instance, look at Isaiah 53 and let me just say this. First of all, he saw that Jesus would die with two thieves. 700 years before it ever happened, Isaiah said, oh yeah, he's going to be, look at verse 12, he's going to be numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah saw that Jesus would be put to death with two malefactors, two criminals. By the way, did it happen? Well, look, if you will, in Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, verse number 32, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. It happened just like Isaiah said it would happen. Listen to this. We know uh, Jesus didn't die in a cathedral between two candles. Jesus died on a cross between two criminals. Isaiah saw it 700 years before it happened. He saw that Jesus would be put to death with, with two thieves. Look again at verse number 12. He saw that Jesus, the Son of God, the servant of God, would pray for those who are putting him to death. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says there he was numbered with the transgressors. And the Bible said later on that he would make intercession for the transgressors. You know, Jesus, while he was on the cross, made seven statements while he was hanging on the cross. But the very first statement that he made was this one right here. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. What's he doing? He's interceding for the very ones that are putting him to death. And Isaiah saw it and heard it before it ever happened. Look again in this text. Not only did he see the criminals, not only did he hear the intercession, but look again at verse number 10. He saw that one of those thieves hanging there on the cross by the Lord Jesus was going to get saved. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, notice this, he shall see his seed. You know what that tells me? Isaiah saw one of those old thieves hanging there on the cross by the Lord Jesus, trusting him, Jesus would see the fruit of his work, the seed of his work, hang him while he's on the cross of Calvary, and one of them old thieves would trust him. Did it happen? We look at this verse over in Luke chapter 23, and he said unto him, that old thief said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Isaiah saw it before it happened. What about this? Look again in this, check, in this text. Isaiah saw that when Jesus died, that he would be buried. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Look at this chapter. Look at verse number 9, if you will. The Bible said he would make his grave with the wicked, speaking of the, the, the criminal, the criminals, the, the, the malefactors, and with the rich in his death. Isaiah saw that Jesus would be buried in the tomb of a rich man 700 years before he ever died. Did it happen? The Bible tells us here in this text, Matthew 27, 57, And when the evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who was also Jesus' disciple. Verse number 60 says this, And, and, and Jesus was laid in Joseph's own new tomb. Isaiah saw it. Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. But he also saw that Jesus wouldn't need it for long. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 10. We read this phrase in this verse. He shall prolong his days. A direct reference to the resurrection of the Son of God. Did it happen? In Mark chapter 16 and verse number 6, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is not here. He, he is risen. He is not here. Hey, I'm glad I'm not preaching some dead Savior. I'm glad I'm declaring unto you a Savior that was breathing as brutally as he was, and yet he lives again. We know somebody that was beaten and treated so cruelly like the Lord Jesus couldn't live through that, much less rise again from it. That's absolutely preposterous. But Jesus, the Son of God, was beaten and cruelly treated at the hands of wicked men, and yet three days later he lived again, and he lives today. Isaiah saw that. Look again at this same chapter. Isaiah saw the exaltation of our Lord. Isaiah chapter 53, look at verse number 12. The Bible said that God is going to divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's a reference to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Did Jesus become exalted? Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 said that God hath highly exalted him, his son, his servant, and given him a name above every name. Isaiah saw it before it happened. And he said to you and me, all right, who's going to believe this? Who'll step up and believe that the Son of God, the servant of God, was treated in such a manner? But I like this. The thing that Isaiah saw the most is he saw why it all happened. I mean, if you look in this text, he saw the method to the madness. He saw the plan to the punishment. Look in this text, if you will, in verse number 6. Isaiah said this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, on the servant, the iniquity of us all. Look again at verse number 8, and that last phrase says this, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Look again at verse number 12. And the Bible said in verse 12, he shall bear the sin of man. You know what Isaiah saw? Isaiah saw the ultimate reason for Calvary. Why Calvary? Why did God's son, God's servant, have to be treated in such a manner? Why be crucified? Why be put to death like he was? I'll tell you why. God was teaching you and me that our sin is so great and so vile and so dirty and so ungodly that a slap on the hand just won't do. It took the punishment and the violence that the Son of God had to go through for God's justice to be satisfied and his mercy to be given to people just like you and just like me. Isaiah saw all that. I mean, this whole chapter, he saw the whole picture of Calvary as if he was sitting right there at the foot of the cross. And then he looks at you and me and says, okay, hey, who's going to believe this? Who's going to believe the report? You know what I'm doing this morning? I'm just reporting to you what happened again. I'm just declaring unto you the, 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 the events of Calvary. Who's going to believe that? Who's going to believe the report? And by the way, when I read that, look at that verse in verse number 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That is a direct quotation from John chapter 12 and verse number 38. Jesus had just done a great miracle in John chapter 12. And after the miracle that Jesus performed, Jesus asked this question, John 12, 38, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet, here it is again, a quotation from Isaiah 53, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord... Who hath believed our report? 
And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah said, or Jesus had just done this great miracle, and then Jesus looked at the crowd and said, who's going to believe this? Who's going to, who's going to accept this? Who's going to receive this? this, this report? Who's going to believe what's happened here? And Isaiah said the same thing of Calvary 700 years before it happened. And then he said this, and to whom, watch this now, is the arm of the Lord revealed. I got to thinking about that. You know, when we read about creation, for instance, when we read about stars and planets and galaxies, and we know that God created all of that. When we go out at night, of course, maybe not tonight, but when we go out on a clear night, you look up and you see the Milky Way and and you see the uh, Jupiter and Saturn and the moon, and you see all of that, the sun by day. The Bible says God did all of that with his fingers. The Bible said back in Psalms chapter number 8, verse number 3, when I consider the heavens, and then he says this, the work of thy fingers. Now you stop, how many stars are there? There's no, nobody knows. I mean... They're out there. They're up there. And the Bible said that God did all of that with, with just his fingers. And, and then when we think about another mighty act of God, bringing the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and then they come to the Red Sea, and they, God parted the waters, and they went over on dry ground. Here's what the Bible said about that. In Exodus chapter 13, 13 and verse number 3, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which ye, we came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. The Bible said God did all that. And that was just the work of his hand. So the planets, the space is his fingers. Parting of the Red Sea and two to three million Jews go over on dry ground. He did that with his hand. But when it came to Calvary, God didn't use his fingers. God didn't use his hands. God revealed his arm. It was such a mighty work of God that it took the arm of God to provide salvation for people like you and for me. In fact, look back. Look back into Isaiah chapter 52. Look at verse number 10. Here's what the Bible said. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Hey, when it comes to the work of salvation, God didn't do it with his fingers. God didn't do it with his hands. God made bare his mighty arm to provide a great salvation for you and for me. So I ask you this morning the question that Isaiah asked. Who's going to believe this? Who is going to receive the report? Maybe that's the reason the songwriter said these words. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. God said, I'm going to bear my arm to provide salvation for you. And it all happened at a place called Calvary. Amen. How astonishing. How amazing that God would put his own son
to death on Calvary for you and for me. Well, I know it's icy. I know it's rainy. I know it's cold. But I've got to tell you something. We're kind of scratching around on the little end of something great big in these coming Sundays. Thank God for Calvary. Your life, my life. I know it began years, years, but I, I met the Lord, and that's when my life really began, when I met the Lord at Calvary. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning you'd speak to our heart.